I think that mental health, emotional health, embodiment, they're part of our experience of being human. And there, there is no separation. They all belong together. And we spend different you know, time and energies focusing on one. But I think as we, for me, what I believe about the healing journey is as we start to heal any space, it expands our healing into all other spaces. And then we start to see it's all interconnected, right? Like how I'm in relationship with my body directly affects how I'm in relationship with my finances and how I'm in relationship with my husband. And it's all deeply interconnected and interwoven. Welcome to the Living Centered Podcast, a show from the humans at OnSite. If you're new to this space and just beginning this journey, we hope these episodes are an encouragement, a resource, and an introduction to a new way of being. And if you're well into your journey and perhaps even made a pit stop at OnSite's Living Centered program or one of our other experiences, we hope these episodes are a nudge back towards the depth, connection, and authenticity you found. In this season, we sat down with a dozen of our favorite experts and emotional health sojourners to dig into the topics that are top of mind for all of us. Transition, relationships, trauma, just to name a few. Part practical resource and part honest storytelling that will have you silently nodding along, me too. This podcast was curated with you in mind. So with that, let's dive in. All right, friends, welcome back to another episode of the Living Centered Podcast. Today, we were joined by our friend, on-site alum, and personal development and business coach who also specializes in embodiment work, Kara Campbell. Y'all, I loved this conversation. I think the topic of embodiment is something that we talk a lot about on this podcast, so it was exciting to really have an episode devoted to diving deep on it, getting the definition, and talking to someone who specializes in it. She really brought it down to a personal level to talk all about why we disconnect from ourselves, maybe how the experiences we have keep us from ourselves, and how to start the journey back to trusting and reconnecting with ourselves. So I loved it, and I loved Kara. Yeah, Kara is so great, and I felt like this conversation really called a deeper level of vulnerability forth from both Mackenzie and I as we talked to Kara and um, it just felt really like grounded and generous and beautiful. So I hope that you enjoy hearing from Kara and maybe are moved into that space of vulnerability today. Kara, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm excited to get to hear a little bit more about your work. We've been friends for a while, but there's so much about you I still don't know. Mm. And so... I love doing the podcast because it's an opportunity to hear more about people and ask questions that you might not ask in a social <laughs> setting or, yeah, you know, it's like totally. dig a little deeper. Totally. Well, so thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah. I love it. I know a lot of your work right now or, you know, in the past season has been around embodiment. Mm-hmm. And so I would love to hear kind of the origin story for that work for you Mm -hmm. and what, even what embodiment work means to you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I love this question because I think right now embodiment is a term that's getting thrown out a lot and it's, it's, it's a little bit buzzy of a word, but really how I define embodiment or perceive embodiment is the, the ability to feel at home within your own body. So the ability uh, to, to feel at rest, to feel at peace within the physical body that you inhabit. And the the short story of how I got into this work is my own journey, right? Like I lived very disconnected yeah. from my body. I lived in a relationship with my body that was 
really terrible for a lot of years. And I had an experience a number of years ago where I say I I turned around and I began the journey back home to my body. I began walking Mm. back home towards my body as opposed to away from my body because for so many years I had lived in this disconnected space. So embodiment can be, you know, such an individual experience of really learning how to reconnect, retether and recenter to, to self. And for different people, it, it, it's experienced differently, but it really is that ability to, to be here, right? To feel that experience of, oh, I'm present. I have this physical body. I trust this body. I'm in this body. It's my one body that I'm going to get for the rest of my life. And so that's how I kind of define it and how I, how I ventured into the, the space of embodiment. And when you say you were living like kind of disconnected, what did that look like for you? Yeah. Yeah. So for me, how it manifested or played out is uh, I had every eating disorder under the sun. I, mm. I, I say that I had the buffet of <laughs> disordered eating and eating disorders, but mm. it was because I didn't understand that I was in a relationship with my body. I thought my body was a problem mm. to be solved. I thought it was something to be fixed or to be controlled or to be tamed And as I started to learn that it was a relationship that I get to be in and cultivate, it changed the way I treated it. It changed the way that I I operated towards my body. So my disconnection played out in, in the way I fed my body, but it also played out, I think, when I think about my life in hindsight, I'm like, I was probably drinking too much in my 20s because I wasn't feeling super embodied, or I was probably choosing relationships that weren't really great for me because I wasn't mm. feeling fully embodied. So when we do something that's out of alignment, a lot of times it comes back to this, this place of embodiment in our lives. Yeah, mm. I um, resonate with the eating really with all of it, but the eating disorder part in particular, that was something that I struggled with in my high school and college years. And even as you were talking about sort of this process of coming home to your body, I think for people that do feel that sense of disconnection and even they that feel like they're trying to fix their mm-hmm. body or yeah. that it's a problem to be solved, like you said, it feels so unfathomable mm. to like have a relationship yeah. with mm-hmm. your body. And so I guess I'm curious about those early days of starting to write the ship for people that are kind of like, I can't, I feel disconnected. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I I do, my body is a problem to be solved. <laughs> yeah. How do I begin to reconcile that and change that mindset into more of the relationship mindset? Yeah, no, mm. such a beautiful question. And I, I think first I just want to cover all of all of this conversation with compassion, right? Because it is right. such a tender space. And we are taught, especially at, like I'm in a female body, I, I identify as a woman. We are taught to not trust our bodies. We are taught yeah. to fix, to change, to be different in our bodies from the day that we're born. So we are not set up for success. <laughs> And yeah. I grew up in a very um, religious household, and part of the religion that uh, got embedded into my reality was that I'm bad. I'm a bad person that needs something outside of me to fix me. And so really, for me, that religious experience was difficult because it, it taught me that I needed something to fix me. So, so that impacted mm-hmm. how I operated in the world, too. But to answer your question, Lindsay, I think that I think for someone who has no framework of what a relationship could be with the body, I think that all of it starts with simply the awareness of it doesn't have to be like this. There could be a different way. There could be, for me, the beginning of my 
uh, journey back home to myself. I'll give you a quick story. I was in England and I, um, I was living there for a sabbatical about six months. I was there and I had a series of panic attacks, like six mm-hmm. in a row. And at the time I thought my body was betraying me. I thought my body was failing me. I was terrified. And I had a friend say, just mirror back to me. Do you think your body's trying to communicate with me and or with you? Mm-hmm. And that had never, that was never even a remote uh, thought in my mind that my body might yeah. be trying to say like, Hey, something's going on. Let's have a conversation. And it was her comment that really allowed me to think, could there be a different way to do this? Could there be a different way to approach my body? And it, it started with that curiosity in my work with clients. I talk about the three pillars of listening to the body are curiosity, compassion, and care. And so starting mm. with that place of do it, do I want it to be this way? Do I want to be in a disconnected space? And if I don't want to, if I feel disconnected and I don't want to, how can I start to think about it differently? Ask questions, pose questions to to things I just think are normal. For me, I didn't even know I was disconnected. It was so normal to hate my body that that just felt normal. But it was in that curiosity of, does it have to be like this? Where Where stuff started to surface. And the reality is the body is always on our side. It wants to be on our team. So the beauty is it's always calling back to us, right? It's the body already wants to be in great relationship with us. And so the moment we start to say, Hey, uh, I want to listen to you. Things start to shift for people. Mm, That's so good. Love that. In this conversation about embodiment, I was curious to hear Kara's take on what happens when we don't even realize we're viewing ourselves as separate from our bodies. For many of us, it's such an unconscious practice that it might even feel foreign for us to hear that we're not separate from our bodies. I recently saw an Instagram reel that brought this concept into stark light. The video was a lighthearted take on this experience. The woman proposed the question, what pronouns do you use in your head? Me, my, or we, our? On its face, it's an odd question, but she went on to recount a session with a new therapist she had where she referred to herself as we. She said something like, we love a good therapist. The therapist, asking for clarity, said, who is we? Is this your best friend? Is it you and your mom? Is it you and your partner? Did I miss something? To which the girl replied, oh, just me. I'm referring to me and my body because those two, they don't talk. So my real question is, how can we start this journey if we don't even have a consciousness of the separation? Here's what Kara had to say. I love this idea of we, in order to know unity, sometimes we have to know separateness, right? And so Mm, I think about, I think about my daughter and she's almost two. And as I watch her, she has no concept of disliking her body. She's discovering her body and it's all full of wonder now. And I think along our journeys and for so many different reasons, we we kind of start to separate, right? And and I think Mm -hmm. this is why we talk about the embodiment journey as a coming home journey, because for a while we walk away and we, we experience ourselves as separate. And then perhaps the journey back home, this embodiment journey is that one of coming back to the place of unity. I was thinking as you were speaking about, I feel like embodiment is like one of those areas and mental health is sort of similar, that it's like really easy to have sort of excuses Mm. for why it exists and to feel sort of like 
a victim of our culture around it. Yeah. And as I hear you speak, it's just reminding me of the choice and the agency that we have to begin the process of sort of loving ourselves and being in relationships with our bodies. Yeah. Similar to sort of a mental and emotional health journey where like there are it doesn't have to just happen to you. You can take a proactive stance around mm. caring for yourself. And it made me feel more um, powerful, you know, and empowered to know like, oh, there are things that I can do yeah. to feel better about this. It's not just that like culture fed me these lies or I'm on social media and, you know, it's like constantly reinforced. Yes, yeah. <laughs> totally, totally. So. Yesterday I was with a, um, a group of women and after we had done a mother circle and after we were going around and reflecting and my friend Kirsten, who was hosting the experience said, you know, as moms, it's, it's tempting to feel like a victim because life is just always happening. There's so much to do. And she said, but I don't think we're victims. I think that sometimes we're just thirsty. And I loved that reframing of Mm. even with mental health, with embodiment, we don't have to be victims to, to culture. But we can acknowledge like culture really (laughs) does not do us a service when it comes to being at home in our bodies. It doesn't do us a service with mental health, but we, we have agency and autonomy to recognize, oh, we're, I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty. And what is the well that I can drink from that's going to nourish me and actually provide what I need in this time. So it's, I love separating that idea of victim and thirsty because it, it does take back the agency, like you said. Yeah, that's really good. As we touched on the topic of mental health, I wanted to know Kara's thoughts on how embodiment and mental health intersect. She shared a bit of her own story and how the work she chose to do for herself now translates into the work she does with her clients. A lot of my singleness journey was intertwined with embodiment because as I learned to belong to myself in my Mm -hmm. relationship space, I learned to belong to myself in my body. And so when I started my coaching practice, I started working with women really in the space of relationship. But what happened is that we started talking about relationship and it would instantly translate into how they were in relationship with their body. And then it would instantly translate into how they were in relationship with money. And then it would translate into how they were in relationship with all these other things. So I say that to say, I think that mental health, emotional health, embodiment, they're part of our experience of being human. And there, there is no separation. They all belong together. Mm-hmm. And we, we spend different you know, time and energies focusing on one. But I think as we, for me, what I believe about the healing journey is as we start to heal any space, it expands our healing into all other spaces. And then we start to see it's all interconnected, right? Like how I'm in relationship with my body directly affects how I'm in relationship with my finances and how I'm in relationship with my husband, and it's all deeply interconnected and interwoven. Hey friends, Mackenzie here. I wanted to quickly interrupt this interview to share a short story with you. A few years ago, I was listening to an onsite alum share their story, and something clicked inside of me. I realized that while nothing was wrong in my life, I actually began to wonder if there was more I was missing. What if the overwhelming feeling of anxiety and stress that I had just accepted as my normal didn't have to be a part of my life? What if my relationships didn't drain me and I could actually set the boundaries to create the type of relationships I wanted to exist in? 
what if I could interrupt the narratives that I had just accepted as fact? Shortly after, I attended Onsite's Living Center program, and I started on my own journey of more. More peace, more clarity, more fun, more wholeness. I want to invite you to explore that more. There's nothing wrong with you. But what if there's more? If you've been considering an on-site program for a while, or if this is the very first time, I invite you to dare to consider the possibility that the more you're seeking is actually something we all deserve. You can explore our offerings at experienceonsite.com or connect with one of our incredible admissions team members at 1-800-341-7432. They'd love to have a confidential call with you and connect you to the right resource for you. For people that's interest is piqued about this embodiment work, what are like ways that they can begin to get help around it? Mm-hmm. What are great resources? Like where where do you start learning and reframing how you think about yourself? Yeah, it's a great question. I I would direct people in different directions based on <laughs> right, kind of where totally. they land, but. For my own personal journey, I, I read the book. Um, have either of you read Women, Food, and God? No. It's no. Janine Roth. It's an older book. It was probably published in like the 90s. And it was my first read that helped me understand the interconnectedness of my body with other things. Because again, mm. I was living in such separateness that my body was way over here and the rest of me was over here. And I needed someone to bridge that gap. I needed someone to, to explain that, that how I'm in relationship with body affects everything else. So that's a really good read. It's, it's directed more towards women, but it's a great read for anyone. And then an, a book I have recently been loving. Have either of you read Belonging by Toko Pa? Oh, wow. so beautiful. We're making a list over here. So Belonging, <laughs> Belonging came out, I think, in like 2019 or 2020. I read it during during the shutdown. And the premise of the book is how do we belong to ourselves? So how do we belong to ourselves in our mental health and our emotional health in our bodies? And so that's a great read that could also bridges that gap and helps you see the connection between all the spaces. But I think on a practical level, when I start working with someone who wants to experience being at home in their body, it's like building a muscle, right? Because if we've never touched this muscle, it's going to feel really uncomfortable Mm-hmm. It's going to feel uh, really weak. Weak is the wrong word, but not strong. <laughs> and it's going to take a lot of practice to use. So something as simple as five minutes a day and routinely checking in with your body, it can be breath. It can be a practice of breath. It can be something like a body scan meditation, which is basically just tuning into the parts of your body. Head, how are you feeling? Shoulders, how are you feeling? Stomach, how are you feeling? And beginning that conversation, right? Because if we talk about the body as though it's something to be in relationship with, Mm -hmm. we have to remember that anything we're in relationship with requires listening. And many of us have not been taught to to listen to our bodies. For me, that was my entire journey. I never, no one ever taught me, listen to your, listen to your gut, listen to your stomach, listen to your legs. And so one of the ways on a very practical level, we can start to cultivate that is to take five minutes a day and start to listen. And here's the thing about embodiment that I love to tell people, it's wildly uncomfortable (laughs) because when we are disembodied, when we are not embodied, there has been something that has disconnected us, right? If If we imagine we start as connected creatures, we move to disconnection and then we move back towards connection. Something has caused that disconnection. 
So it can be trauma. It can be past that, that we haven't looked at yet. It can be stories that we believe about ourselves. It can be all these things that have disconnected us. So when we start to move back towards embodiment, what's going to happen is that stuff is going to surface. And so it's going to feel uncomfortable, right? The sensate, we're not used to feeling those sensations. So we start to feel uncomfortable. And part of the journey of embodiment is learning to, to breathe through those sensations. A lot of the work you guys do at onsite, right? Like learning to be with the parts of us that are uncomfortable. But yeah, I think, I think a simple practice of five minutes a day, just saying, body, how how can I listen to you today? How can I show up for you today? Mm. And starting to view the body as something that you want to cultivate a healthy relationship with. Yeah. Mm. As I like hear you, it's just, I've been like totally in my head (laughs) (laughs) thinking about just sort of even my own experience with my eating disorder. And when I sort of was um, getting help around that, I wasn't super open to looking at the stuff under the symptoms mm-hmm. kind of yeah of that I mean I was in high school and you know like remember I mean I think one like the resources have evolved so much yeah. in the last 20 years around mental health and eating disorders in particular yeah it's part of it and then also you know just my own limitations of trying to do that work at that time which was just such a busy, chaotic season anyway. And I'm like, I just want to fix this and mm-hmm. like get over it, you know? Yeah. And I, I was thinking as you were talking around so much for me around the eating disorder and even the solution of it was like doing a good job, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. It was like I had, I'd grown up and had not really like learned to like care and nourish my body well. And so I felt like I was like overweight as a kid. And then I started to lose weight and got a lot of affirmation for that. Mm-hmm. So then it was like, oh, I want to succeed and perform mm-hmm. at this. Mm-hmm. Even in the treatment, I, it was sort of like easy to dismiss what was underneath it mm-hmm. and try to get to, okay, well, like, how do I eat enough and like do enough work to like do, perform well in my healing? Yeah. And it just, I'm realizing that there's still like a gap of work that Mm -hmm. I need to do around making my body not a project, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. So thank you for, you know, making this conversation so relatable and having that sort of compassion in your Mm -hmm. posture and your tone Mm -hmm. for me to feel even safe to explore in my head as (laughs) as you process. I I think... Well, thank you for sharing that. It's so beautiful. And I think that something I think about a lot is how much my eating disorder, disordered eating behavior towards food served me because mm. it, it allowed me to, to cover up or to cope with things that I didn't know how to cope with. And this is what, this is my deep belief about all of our disordered behavior is that it is a space to be so gentle with because it's serving mm. us in some way. It's, it's trying to love us and it looks like a problem to be fixed, right? Like, especially how, how we approach certain things. Well, we got we to gotta stop the addiction or we got to stop the thing or we got we to fix the problem. And something I'm learning in my, my life right now is how can I move closer to and, and love more of that part of me? And... Even that, that reframe was such a shift for me to understand, 
oh, I was trying to protect myself. I'm reading a book right now that is, is really helping me see that whenever I treat myself poorly, there's something in it that's, that's serving me. And when I know that, then I can dig into, well, what's the thing that I need? It's yeah. so compassionate. Yeah. And, and I think the compassion for me is really practical, right? Because it's more effective. <laughs> I tell my clients all the time, I'm like, you can keep being really mean to yourself if you want to. If you want to be really self-judgmental and mean, you can keep doing it. But I guarantee you, if you just start practicing compassion a little bit, your results are 10 times more effective. Because again, if we think about ourselves as a relationship that we're in, we respond to things that are kind and tender and loving and safe. And so if we're constantly cultivating that with ourselves, then we give ourselves the permission to change and grow and become more of who we want to become in a more enjoyable way. Earlier in this season, one of our therapists, Carlos, said, if shame would have worked, it would have worked by now. Yeah. And it just kind of, it cut through like, oh, if what I was doing being mean to myself was going to work, it's been going, I've been at it for a while and it would have worked by now. As we dug deeper into Kara's journey and the connection she made between how her disembodiment actually served her, she asked if she could tell a story from her onsite experience. To which Lindsay and I replied, of course. I love the inside glimpse Kara provides into the power of experiential therapy and the work that we get to do in our in-person experiences. I went to onsite in 2019 and in my big work, essentially, I thought I was going to come in and, you know, we all have this idea of what we're going to, what we're going to work on. And I was like, I'm going to work on my relationship with my mom or my body or whatever. And, uh, my therapist, he said, um, what do you want to work on? And it just came out of me. I said, I want to trust myself. And he was Mm. like, okay, let's start looking at all the ways you didn't trust yourself. So we're digging into it. And he says, what's your first memory of, of not trusting yourself? And, and I told him that when I was little, my, my mom had five kids and (laughs) she, Mm. my mom is amazing. She is like such a lovely human, but she said something to me when I was little, she said, she would say, don't be sad. Don't be mad. Don't be upset. Don't trust yourself. Trust God. And so there was, there was a lot of pressure in my home to, to maintain happy and to maintain up. And so I, I said this to Jim, my therapist, and, and he started writing them on the, the whiteboard. Don't be sad. Don't be frustrated. Don't be angry. Don't be mad. Don't trust yourself. And as he put them up on the board, I'm like staring at all these things. And then he erases all of the, the words next to it. And all that it says is don't be, don't be, don't be, don't be, don't be. And I was looking at it and my work continued after that. But I had this light bulb moment of I've taken on the belief that I shouldn't be. I shouldn't be fully here. I shouldn't be fully myself. I shouldn't be whatever it is. And in that what I started to understand was my, my way of coping with that was food, right? And, and it really was so, so little about the food and about the actual body. I thought it was about being skinny. I thought it was about losing weight. But the thing under the thing, what you mentioned, Lindsay, the thing under the thing for me was that I didn't have permission to feel all of me. And so mm. the way that I could shove that down or deal with that is, is to use food as a coping mechanism. 
And it's a great, it's a great tool to use as a coping mechanism. And so when I started to understand that, I, I was able to be really compassionate towards that part of me. Oh, you were serving me. You, you eating disorder, you were serving me because you were trying to protect me from feeling something that I didn't have capacity to feel. Mm. Thank you so much for sharing that. Oh, I love onsite, you guys. <laughs> Biggest advocate. <laughs> oh, that was so tender. I, well, something that we say at Onsite a lot is that if you spot it, you got it. Or like just the entire Mm. process of group therapy, watching someone have a revelation, watching someone unlock something or have a breakthrough is often just as impactful for ourselves as it is for the person. And so just you walking us through that was super Mm. impactful for me. It touched me in a place that I was like... Mm oh, what are the ways that I have kept myself from being fully present and not feeling like I'm allowed to bring all these parts of myself? So I hope that anyone that's listening today, if you had that moment, like you can take a little piece of that healing with you if you Mm. need it today. I know a lot of the work you do is around helping people tap back into trusting themselves and having intuition. And so I thought maybe we could talk a little bit about intuition and what it is and a lot. I I just have a big question mark around it. Like, what is my intuition? Uh Oh, Mackenzie, I do too. I think we all do. (laughs) Good, good. I think it's such an undefinable thing because it's a a personal thing and it's something for those of us who have any sort of faith, it's something outside of us as well. Yeah. Um, But this deeply interconnected woven experience of outside and inside and and all of it. I think that intuition, I I was having this conversation with a girlfriend this week because she was telling me an experience that she had. And in hindsight, she said, I wish I would have listened to my intuition. I I felt something, but I made Mm -hmm. a lot of excuses for it. I chalked it up to X, Y, and Z. And I think intuition is one of those things that is a muscle that we can learn to continue to sharpen and strengthen as we Mm -hmm. listen to it. So for someone like her, when she had this experience of, I wish I would have listened to my intuition instead of the shame of, Oh, why didn't I listen? She can say, Hmm, why, why was I okay with coming up with excuses for this? What, what in me was okay with, with chalking it up to X, Y, and Z. So I think I think on a high level, how I think of it is as, is as an internal muscle that we get to strengthen. Yeah. But I also think that intuition really is, it's how we are anchored to self, how we are anchored to trusting ourselves. Do I trust my ability to make decisions? Do I trust my ability to treat myself well? And the beautiful thing about embodiment and self-trust is that as we, as we begin our embodiment journey, as we become more embodied, our self-trust is the byproduct is that it expands because mm. if we are in healthy relationship with something, we trust it. Yeah. I think about my relationship with my partner and the more communication we have, the more we go through conflict and resolve it, the more we lean into hard things and grow through them, the more I trust him. Right. And so in the same way, with our embodiment journeys, as we start to treat ourselves well, get tender towards ourselves, practice the self-compassion towards the spaces where we would like to have self-judgment, the byproduct is that we grow our our self-trust. We begin to trust ourselves more, which I think is just a beautiful thing to map out for people 
when I talk about self-compassion, sometimes I think it sounds fluffy and fun and like, oh, let's just be like so loving and self-compassionate. But I said this earlier, I, I think it's a very practical thing, right? The, the reality is that when we are compassionate, we create safety. And if we have safety, then we can shift and change and grow and trust. And so for me, it all comes down to this core of, can I create the safety so that I can listen to and trust myself and grow that mm. muscle of intuition. Easier said than done. <laughs> Way easier said than done. I had a friend that was going through a season of like major transition. And I asked another friend that had been through a similar season, like, what advice do you have of like walking alongside this person? And um, the person said, at every turn, remind them that they can trust themselves. Mm. And I just thought it was like such great advice and Mm -hmm. advice I really needed to hear because I think so often people ask when they're not trusting their intuition, they like really lean into the voices of people around them. Yeah. And it reinforces their lack of ability to trust themselves. And so how do we begin to break that cycle for other people and like help them trust their intuition? Yes. Yes. I asked a client recently, I said, <clears throat> what are you learning in this season? And she said, I'm, I'm learning to be less afraid of the future. And I said, why? <laughs> How? And she said, well, I'm learning to be kind to myself and I'm learning a lot of self-compassion. And when I do that, what happens for me is that when I think about out there, meaning the future, when I think about out there, I can trust that I'll be kind to myself there. I can trust Mm -hmm. that I will be with myself there. I use this term, uh, my friend Katie gave it to me, it's called self-with. So we had this conversation with a group of girlfriends and we were saying, when we were growing up, everyone told us to be selfless. And I don't wanna be selfless. I wanna be selfish. I wanna be so selfish. And my friend Katie said, no, I wanna be self-with. It's different. Mm, Selfish and selfless seem like on this plane down here. And self-with is just the elevated version of I know how to be with myself. I know how to trust myself. And so I say that to say when we, when we are practicing self-trust, we don't have to have anxiety about the future. It's almost mm. this, it's almost uh, how I imagine it is we're in relationship with the intuition too, right? So we know that when we get out there, whatever happens, whatever hard thing happens, We can trust ourselves to move through it in the same way that we trust ourselves to move through today. This entire idea around intuition was just fascinating to me. It prompted me to explore how we talk about intuition in our daily lives. We talk like it's an embodied experience. We use words like, I felt it in my gut. My heart was just telling me to do it. I don't know, but I felt it in my bones. I once had a therapist walk me through the times that I thought I had leaned into my intuition. And in every situation, I realized that my body knew before I did. It was providing me cues even when I was disconnected. It was fighting for me, signaling me, and keeping me safe. I asked Kara to speak more to the idea of intuition being an embodied experience. Here's what she had to say. If we look back at our own stories and we, we look at the, the times where we did feel that intuitive nudge or tickle or whatever, whatever it was, whatever yeah. that intuition felt like, 
it most likely is embodied, right? Because it, it yeah. starts in our bodies and our bodies are always, like you said, advocating for us and speaking up. And so oftentimes it'll be the first sensation that we'll notice mm -hmm. is, huh, my, my palms feel sweaty or so, something, fe I'm feeling this embodied experience. And yes, I think it's deeply connected to the intuition. This conversation continued to be such a gift to both Lindsay and me. Toward the end of our interview, Lindsay prompted a question to Kara that changed her entire disposition. She asked her how motherhood had shaped and shifted her learning and understanding of embodiment. It prompted Kara to light up, and it actually invited all of us to explore how our own journeys can impact the little people in our lives. If you're a parent, a caregiver, a grandparent, an aunt, an uncle, or simply a safe and influential grown-up in a kid's life, this next section is equally encouraging and challenging. Motherhood changed my center of gravity. So the mm -hmm. journey of embodiment for me, the, the way that I knew myself, the way that I knew my own body, all changed in becoming a mother. And I think the implications of embodiment in, in the pregnancy journey and then in my motherhood journey are endless. I could talk about them for hours. But some key ones for me, I think, are learning how to re-relate to myself. It's a total shift in this very miraculous and beautiful way. But I, what I've said about motherhood is that I think it's um, the journey for me has been the most grief I've ever felt and the most joy. It's been both one and the same. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I, at this mother's group yesterday, I said, loving is really painful. <laughs> Because you love mm. something so much, which means that there's the reality that it could go away, right? And, mm. and I think what I'm learning is that these things that we see as dualities, love and pain, joy and grief, they're actually much more closely intertwined than they are separate, which reminds me of the embodiment journey, right? Of coming yeah. back to this, this place of unity. They all, it all belongs here. And so I think um, that's a long-winded and a little bit ethereal answer to, to say that I think motherhood is really, it's disoriented me in a really unique way where I, mm. I think I'm relearning who I am, right? Like I now have a, a new way of existing in the world and I'm relearning who I am. You have such like language and understanding of like the process mm. in yourself. Mm -hmm. And I think for so many people, whether it's motherhood or some other part of some other new force in their life, everything's just happening under the surface yeah. Yeah. and they're just surviving. And to have the like language and understanding of like something shifting and I need to like have room for this and allow myself feeling mm. and give attention to who I was and who I'm becoming, mm. you know, is mm -hmm. like so lovely. Mm. And so I can't wait to see even you continue to evolve on this journey. And mm. as you have met more words for it, because I think, you know, as Mackenzie said, you will bring us all along in the journey mm. and we can learn through you giving it names and language mm. and acknowledging that it's disruptive and it's a lot and it's, but it's beautiful. It's, it's all the things. Yeah. So. Thank you for saying that. It's really kind. I, 
I think that I, it's one of my favorite things is to give language to what is, what is like, oh, this is really, it's a gift for you, painful and hard and beautiful and all of the things. And if we can name it, then we can look at it and feel it and then, and then move on, you know, like we don't have to stay there, but at least we can, we can look at it. Yeah. Um, One of the things in my own mothering journey that has happened for me is you mentioned grief. Mm. Um, I think there's been some grief for me of recognizing the ways that I like, you know, separated from myself where I wasn't parented in the way that I want to. It's been an opportunity in reparenting myself as being a mother too. And I wonder about this like distrusting of our bodies. And I, I already mourn it and grieve it knowing Mm. that this, these beautiful girls that are in front of me that the world will tell them that it they can't trust their bodies mm. um, and they can't trust themselves and they'll sow seeds of self-doubt. And so I, I feel like I'm, I mean, Lindsay will laugh at me, but I'm trying to be like super feminist mom of like, <laughs> you're so fantastic. You're so no, great. I love it about you. I think oh, it's so great. Yeah. But because I'm like, my voice has to be so loud in this, but my voice isn't gonna do it until they internalize it. So what are some of the ways that we can give our children a gift that maybe we didn't have or have language or or allow the work that we've done, our ceiling be their floor. You know what yeah. I mean? If you would just kind of speak to, yeah. you know, you have a two-year-old, like <laughs> we're in the early parts of that journey, but I'm in it with you. And I just wonder what, how do we do that well? Yeah. Oh my gosh, Mackenzie. Like, I love this question. <laughs> I, you said it, we reparent ourselves. We give ourselves yeah. what we didn't get so that our floor becomes their ceiling. (laughs) (laughs) Because the reality is our children will model what we do. They they will listen to what we say, but they will model what we do. And I think about how I want Sophie to watch me take care of myself. I want her to watch me look at myself in the mirror with celebration and praise. I want her to watch me love all of the parts of me because if I'm modeling that, then she gets to learn how to do it. The byproduct is that she gets to learn how to do it. And I think as moms, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to, to do it for our children. And I'm yeah. like, no, we do it for ourselves because then they, they learn it. Then they see it, they mm-hmm. witness it, and it becomes, their, it becomes their framework of how to be in the world. Mama is framework. Mama represents like how to be and how to exist. And so if I... I, sometimes I, I say about my mom, I say, man, if she had been 10% kinder to herself, what would it have done yeah. for me, right? And she did the absolute best she could with the mm-hmm. tools that she had. And I really believe that. But for me, my question is for myself, like, how can I truly be in loving, kind relationship with myself so that Sophie witnesses that is the standard? That's the standard yeah. for her to, to exist in. And it's hard, but it feels counterintuitive too. I, I want to say that it feels counterintuitive because it feels like, no, I, I'll just like, I'll, I'll put all the energy towards parenting. Yeah. I love this work because embodiment work is about you. It's about you and your relationship to your body. But what happens when you change your relationship with self is that it changes the relationships around you. So it changes the way you're in partnership. It changes the way you mother. It changes the way you're in friendship, changes your boundaries. And then when those things change, they trickle down. So it's not embodiment work isn't just about 
you and your own personal journey, it's about changing systems, right? It's about the trickle down effect of the systems that change when we do this work. So thank you for asking that question. (laughs) I'm obsessed with it. Yeah, that was a really beautiful answer. And I am really grateful for it. I was wondering if you'd be willing to share, like, what is a practice that helps you stay embodied or a practice that you do on a regular basis that helps you stay centered? We'd love to hear about that too. Mm. I have a few different practices. I'll share one just because I have it in front of me. I I created um, something called the Embodiment Deck, which is a deck of cards that has 48 embodiment practices or reflections Mm. in it. And so I co-created it with a friend of mine and really our heart behind it was to create a tool that would help people practice embodiment in five minutes or less a day, especially for moms who are like so tapped out and they don't have time for themselves. What could we create that would allow them to just drop in for a moment and experience, oh, here I am in relationship with myself. So it's a really simple tool. I'll show it to you guys because I have it, but it looks like this. And the idea is you literally, you just draw one, right? So you just pull one out. This one says create. It has a little reflection on it, but they're all embodiment words or practices. And I think what I would offer as a practice is find something, whether it's a tool like this or it's a, a journal prompt every day, or it's a breathing practice or it's a body scan meditation. Find something that you can give to yourself. Imagine being in real, like a really loving, healthy relationship. Like what would you want to give to yourself for five minutes a day and do it for a month? And see what happens. See what happens as you just take take those five minutes to actually listen to yourself, connect to yourself, be in your body, be with yourself. Because I think it's it can be as simple as that. As we end this interview, I asked Kara to leave you with a small piece of encouragement. I hope it inspires you to kindness and compassion and connection with yourself. Because you're worth it, my friend. And if you want to take a step into this embodied journey, but aren't sure where to start, I'll be sure to provide links to a few of the resources Kara mentioned in this interview and a few on-site experiences that may complement your journey in the show notes of this episode. With that, let Kara's words wash over you and leave you encouraged today. The piece of encouragement that I would like to leave people with is that you are not a problem. There is nothing Mm -hmm. wrong. There is nothing wrong. If we start with the the baseline of there is nothing wrong, then we can shift and change within that. But if we believe there's something wrong, we're always trying to catch up and fix the thing that's broken. So you are not a problem. There is nothing wrong. Thanks for listening to the Living Center podcast. If you're enjoying the show, we'd love for you to consider leaving us a review or rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen. It only takes a few seconds to navigate to the show in your app and select the stars to begin your rating. It helps more people find the show, and we really appreciate it. Thanks so much.